0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Melanin Margin, the weekly chat show where conversations about race are never off the table. We're your hosts, Quavi Andre Williams. And Daquan Wilson. So let's get into this week's conversation. What's hot on the table this week?
1: Nicki Minaj and Lotto have gotten into an online feud following a dispute about their hit songs. Over the weekend, Nikki took to social media to voice her disapproval about her single, Super Freaky Girl, reportedly being considered for the 2023 Grammy's pop categories, despite submitting the song to be included in the rap categories. In making her point, she said that Lotto's big energy should also be removed from rap categories. She tweeted, quote, I have no prob being moved out of the rap categories as long as we are all being treated fairly. If super freaky girl has to be moved out, then so does big energy," end quote. Shortly after Minaj's tweet, Lotto tweeted, quote, damn, I can't win for losing. All these awards and noms, I can't even celebrate, end quote. In the screenshot, Lotto said, she agreed with Nikki's argument regarding the Grammys, but said, quote, because of where we left off, I don't think you need to bring my name and song up to prove your point, end quote. Nicki Minaj responded in a tweet stating, quote, this Karen has probably mentioned my name in over 100 interviews, says she's waited in line for Pink Friday with her Barbie chain on, bangs, pink hair, but today scratch off decides to be silent rather than speak up for the Black woman she called her biggest inspiration." End quote. Lotto responded by calling Nikki a 40-year-old bully, adding that she has been ignoring subliminal disses from Nikki since March. So Andre, that begs the question. Do you think that established artists should be
0: asking up and coming artists to speak out against the industry? I think it definitely depends on the situation. Um, for example, like Monique was blackballed in Hollywood because after fulfilling all of her contractual obligations for Precious, Oprah, Tyler Perry, Lee Daniels wanted her to do additional promotional events. And she said, no, now, even though she was in the right, because she refused to play the game, you know, as so many people say you should, Hollywood still turned their back on her. Now, thankfully, you know, Monique had an established career and was able to bounce back from it. But even at her level, her career and reputation still suffered greatly because of her honesty. Now, from this incident and so many others like it, we know that if you are vocal about the systems of power that work against you, that this puts a larger target on your back, which makes those systems work twice as hard to silence you or break you. Now, when you apply this logic to the Nicki Minaj versus Lotto situation, It seems that Nicki is speaking from the privilege of having a very well-established career. Now, Lotto is still a fairly new artist to some degree, like in terms of recognition and accolades. Her career is not on the same level as Nicki Minaj. Now, this is not to say that Nicki Minaj wouldn't suffer any pushback from the industry for her candid discussion about the unfairness she's experienced. However, the pushback for someone at Nicki's level um, it's not the same, or in, even in the same scope as pushback from an up and coming artist would receive. You know, where Nikki may be able to afford to lose a gig here and there, or a few deals that the music industry tries to attack her, Lotto is still trying to build up a name and a platform. This kind of pushback that she could get um, from going against the industry could not only be detrimental to her career, but it could end her career before she's even got her heels like dug into the ground. Now, again, we don't know the full story, so I'm not taking sides, so to speak. But from what we know, I think it sounds a little unfair of Nicki Minaj to say that Lotto isn't supporting another Black woman simply because she isn't publicly saying that big energy should be moved to the pop category as well. Like, I think that Nicki Minaj bringing up Lotto's song and her critique opened up the wrong dialogue about the issue Nicki was talking about. Like, Instead of the discussion being about the unfairness of her song being taken out of the rap category, it devolved into a beef between her and Lotto. Not to mention that this beef being brought to social media has actually done significant harm to Nicki Minaj's public image as an artist. Like people are saying that, you know, while she may be talented, the fact that she's consistently involved in drama with rising artists it's starting to make people believe that she's the common thread or that she doesn't handle competition well. Now, whether or not this is true is, you know, up to your own personal perception of her character, but I think that the original point that she was trying to make about the industry didn't come out like she originally intended it. But, Daquan, what do you think? You know, I agree with you. I think
1: before anything, I think that both Lotto and Nicki Minaj are talented people. They just exactly. their flowers. Yeah. And they are both talented black women. And this this entire platform that we have does not disparage black women, period. At point all. Blank. But with that being said, I think that this these comments just aren't it. They aren't it in terms of like you said, this entire conversation could have happened differently. Yeah. Nicki Minaj could have focused on her song itself being put into the wrong category, versus bringing up another artist and you know starting this whole thing. And again, I don't know the entire situation of all yeah. the beef Lotto and Nicki has, or the subliminal messages, or the what happened in the DMs between them. But I do think that Lotto also has a point of just like being hurt that oh, my name has been brought up in this situation. I wasn't even doing anything. I wasn't a part of this conversation (laughs) at all. And I do think that if Nikki, you know, approached this in a different way, Lotto could have been on her side and rallying and getting her fans to uh, join in in this conversation. Because this isn't a conversation that is a one-off thing. People have been talking time and time again about, Um, artists, especially Black artists, being put into the wrong categories. For example, every single Black woman singer being in R&B, even though every single song they do isn't R&B, or people talking about Doja Cat's placement in different award shows, because she is somebody that moves between rap and pop and R&B, but they always try to put her in the wrong category for certain songs. So this could have been a great conversation to have had it have been approached in a different way. However, as it stands now, I do think that, you know, this is the time for Nikki to really reflect on her power in this situation because Mm -hmm. she is a respected person in the industry. She has a legacy and she has a power. You know, yeah, people are talking about her tarnishing her legacy with these beef but at the end of the day nikki has done so much for the rap industry period Mm -hmm. point blank for the music industry as a whole Mm -hmm. and if i am a smaller artist i would be intimidated to speak up against the industry especially knowing you know this is with this is something that's happening to a huge artist because i would be thinking oh if this can happen to nikki who is this you know legend mm-hmm. it can also happen to me who's not to her level yet so i think that it is a bit unfair or you know comes from a place of privilege for bigger stars to ask up and coming artists or smaller artists to really go after the industry in a certain way because we know that blackballing does happen yeah. but i do think that there was something to this argument that should have been you know, the focus conversation and the focus.
0: Yeah, I, I fully agree. And, I, and even like you said, Little Nas X, too, is another one who's been put in the prong category before or have been trying to be pushed out of country because they were like, oh, no, that's actually this, you know? And I also think that as marginalized people, we don't all have the same privilege to speak our minds fearlessly. Like, and, and there's a reason, like a very valid reason for that. You know, going against system of power you know, in place is no easy feat and it's full of risks. Like I said earlier, like it would be amazing if we could all speak out against the unfair things that happen to us, but not everyone can. Like we know that as black people, especially in the workplace, when we're being microaggressed or disrespected by white people, specifically white women, that we have to navigate that situation very carefully and cautiously. Like where a white man can check a white woman and be unaffected by her white tears, if a black man or a black woman were to do the same, it could put them in a very precarious situation. Like we all navigate life differently based on what we are able to do. Like we should never sit and or just sit by and let an injustice occur. But we all have to recognize that one, not everybody is equipped with the fortitude it takes to stand up to the system without wavering. Two, not everyone can afford to risk it all in the same way that others can. And three, we should be very careful how we police the way that people show their support for a cause. But like, what are your thoughts on that, Daquan?
1: Yeah, I think that this is a situation where it really comes down to these systems of power are made to not be checked, point Yeah. Double, period. And so, even Nicki Minaj speaking out against that is taking a risk because, you know, like how a lot of arguments are going because she is speaking out that she's easily being portrayed as this angry black woman who's never happy and just like Mm -hmm. can't enjoy what she's got. She always has to try to get something different or people are being like, well, you're Nicki Minaj, you have this, this, and that. Why, why do you need a Grammy? And it's like, you know, if, Nicki Minaj, as an artist, has a goal to get a Grammy. That should be her goal, period. And we shouldn't have to try to put her down for having a goal, even if she got all of these other different accolades and awards and stuff like that. Because if she wants that, that is what she wants. And I also think that Lotto may know that, because she's also a Black woman. even having, you know, light skin privilege stuff like that, she can still be easily the target of being called an angry black woman if she speaks out against the industry. So it really puts both of these artists in a, precar- a precarious place to kind of pit each other, put them against each other and or try to pit them against the industry because we know these stereotypes that will come in place.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's really sad, especially, you know, considering that, like you just said too, her argument was valid. Like there was validity in that. And there was a conversation to be had about that, but the way in which it was approached specifically with the involvement of Lotto, it just kind of, again, like I said earlier, just kind of devolved the entire situation into beef versus in like pitting these two black women against each other versus being like, Hey, this is a problem that Hollywood is doing, and I think that oftentimes too, Hollywood kind of relies on that kind of ideals or those kind of ideals to keep those systems of power in place. So while we're all focused, or even just the fact that we're even having this conversation about the beef between the two of them, and not about the issue of what Nicki Minaj brought up, it's just a, a just a kind of a, a, a showing of what this does. Is like the whole the whole situation. Was turned on its head, and so the whole message of what it is has been lost in translation. And now we have Lotto who's going back and forth with Nikki, and now we have their fans and and her and and Nikki's fans and you know Lotto's fans going against each other, trying to compare who's better, who's this, who's that, instead of being like, hold on, this is a problem that can affect all of us, and this is a problem that has been going on. Let's focus on that. In an article on Daily Beast written by Fletcher Peters, we learned that there are no words capable of describing the anomaly that has just crash landed on planet Earth. Her name is Megan or rather M3Gan. She is a doll, she talks, she dances, and she has already catapulted her way into all of our hearts, thanks to the cheesiest, hokiest two and a half minutes to ever have graced social media. In the trailer, Megan takes it upon herself to grow infatuated with her best friend, Katie, defending her from any harm at all. A little boy approaches Katie in the forest and begins to fight with her, but Megan rushes to her friend's defense. The bot shoves the little boy in front of a car and murders him. Then Megan is doing no-handed cartwheels, twerking, and ripping off the blades from paper shredders to use as a weapon. The final 30 seconds of the Megan trailer, are a complete masterpiece. And the whole thing is made even better by the fact that it's soundtracked by a sinister take on Taylor Swift's forgotten tune, It's Nice to Have a Friend. Now, even though the movie is set to come out in January, 2023, it has already developed a massive fan following online and may be on its way to becoming America's next cult film. So Daquan, what do you think has contributed to the success of Megan?
1: Obviously, that trailer being a masterclass of how to be camp. Like, I will never forget the moment when I saw that uh, an edit of that trailer of her dancing and they had America's Got a Problem and it was like, do, 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 do. Yeah. And she was just like twirling and like, it was camp. It was hilarious. And I think that it was one of those situations where I don't even know if this was planned if they knew that this was what was going to happen coming in or if they were just trying to do something be a little funny and they put that <laughs> out but whatever happened whatever magic happened in that marketing teams meeting needs to be studied it needs to be in every marketing class and health psychology classes on how <laughs> advertisements work and all because it was hilarious and in a matter of you know hours Hours. it was all over social media like the same day you would see uh tick tock after tick tock after tick tock on your fyp all about megan and i was like and it really got me to the point to being like i don't know what this is about i think it's hilarious but whatever it is i want to check it out and i think that's how you do it And that's what contributed to its success is how it created this formula to go viral. It wasn't like, you know, some social media team pushing and being like, go check out our trailer or doing all of this other stuff. It was really something that could be taken out and put into so many different other contexts that you, that it's interesting enough for you to be like, what is the context of the original video like i love the tick tock i love her dancing to america's got a problem but i want to know more about it so i think that is what really catapulted it to spotlight
0: yeah i agree i think whoever did this marketing tens 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 across the board like give that person a raise (laughs) right like i think leaning into social media to help boost the hype or sale of art is a very thin line to walk but i think that the marketing team of megan walked it flawlessly like for one they let the work speak for itself and didn't try to direct social media. Like more often than not, where I think that a lot of these marketing companies fail is when they try to force people to do a trend. Like you were talking about, they beat the movie down your throat, check out our trailer, check out our trailer, or use this filter, please use this filter, or, you know, stuff like that. But when the editors for Megan were watching this movie to make up the trailer, they didn't just clip together, all the action packed moments. They did what good trailer editors are supposed to do. They picked out the moments that would get people intrigued. Which brings me to my second point. They were aware, like you just said, that this movie was full camp. So for those of you who don't know, when something is described as like campy, it means like it has a ridiculous wacky appeal to it. So think like Rocky Horror Picture Show or you know, Hocus Pocus. Now, Megan is a horror movie, but it's a horror movie about a doll who kills people. And the creators of this film put it together and they probably realized, hey, this is really fucking ridiculous. So instead of trying to play it straight, let's punch down. Which brings me to my final point. Their marketing team knows their fucking audience. It has been no secret that the LGBTQIA community has an affinity to horror films. Like Maya and Lotus uh, from Socio Max tries to explain this phenomenon in her article, it came out of the closet where she says, quote, horror is about knowing you shouldn't look, but wanting to see which many LGBTQ plus people can relate through like repression. So armed with this knowledge, the Megan creators made a villain with a snarky attitude, diva energy and a dance routine that she does before murdering a guy. like. It comes as no surprise that the LGBTQIA community fucking ate all this shit up. Because, like you said, countless memes have been made. And even a Twitter beat started up between the official Megan account and Chucky account. And I cannot tell you the way that I screamed when Chucky tweeted, uh I retweeted Megan's trailer with the caption, everybody trying to be me. And Megan responded with a gift of her taking off her shades with the caption, you know you that you know you that doll when you start all this conversation. And let me tell you, <laughs> movie marketing has rarely worked this well on me before. Like, usually I can tell by the trailer whether or not a movie is gonna be bad, even if the trailer tries to make it like super fun and super exciting and super action packed. But bitch, I don't care how bad this movie might be take my fucking debit card and reserve my fucking seat because I am absolutely watching this like y'all ate this the fuck up cleared the fucking plate I'm what I promise you I am reserving my seat immediately but Daquan I want to ask you um do you like should movie and tv production companies start taking like the power of social media more seriously after this absolutely they should have been taking it seriously
1: yesterday because (laughs) Social, I think that people like to downplay social media and social media apps, especially something like TikTok, because there's this common uh, thought of like, oh, like TikTok is this kids dancing app. And like, there's no real serious need to be on TikTok and, or appealing to that crowd or yeah, just social media in general, like, oh, Instagram, that's for people to take pictures and post them or Facebook, that's for you to you know, talk to your friends and stuff like that. Um, but social media is where people are. So if you are a producer, if you are a marketer, and you want people to come to your movie or watch your show, you need to meet people where they are. And that's social mm. media. There is a large uh, number of people from all different types of demographic on um, demographics on social media. And so... Honestly, something like this should be taken seriously because it shows you that social media can do the marketing for you. Mm-hmm. Because I can't tell you the last time I saw a movie trailer and was like, "Okay, I want to go see that movie just yeah. from the trailer itself." Yeah. Um if I've ever done that, it's because oh, I know the, you know, I know the producer of the film or I know mm-hmm. the writer or I know certain actors in it that I like and want to support. So I was probably going to see it anyway, regardless of what I saw in the trailer. Um, And especially for a production that might not have the biggest actors or the biggest name producers and writers for it. This shows you that if you do it right, you can do a lot on social media with not this huge budget film. And I think that overall, places should be taking social media so seriously because it's not only the present, but it's the future. Social media is always changing to fit the needs of people, and people are flocking more and more to social media, to different apps, moving from app to app. And so if you want to really be in on what is pop culture and what is getting people to you know, talk about different things, have discussions. You need to be in tune with the social media trends because a lot of what happens today in pop culture starts on social media or becomes big because of social media.
0: No, I fully agree. Yeah, I I think, like I said before, and, you know, I think that we've seen this a lot, like when social media is bad, it's bad. But when it's good, oh, bitch, you're in the game. like. What I've found is that when navigating social media, there really isn't a way to trick the algorithm. Like you can study the trends, make the hashtags, look at the spike times when you should post. But at the end of the day, we've said this, I'm sure on this podcast countless times, but like there's no exact formula to going viral. Like you either go viral or you don't. People either like really respond to your art or they don't. Um, but all that you can really do is like create, you know, and hope for the best. With Megan, I think that they already knew they were making a campy horror movie and used social media to announce, hey, y'all, this movie is camp. Watch it if you're interested. And they used every second of that trailer and to show you exactly what you're getting into. Like this movie is not Poltergeist. It's not Annabelle. And it's not The Haunting of Hill House. Like this movie is not taking itself too seriously, but there will be gore and violence but also funny dancing and snarky moments. And even though like, you know, beefing with, I, I, I think even through beefing with Chucky and like, you know, the filmmakers were aligning themselves with movies like Nightmare on Elm Street and Child's Play, like getting to that genre of horror fans. And through the power of social media, they were able to make Megan's brand painstakingly clear. Like, whether you like it or not, is up to you. And that's social media. Like, it's a place for you to, like, establish your brand and establish what it is, give you a space to reach the audience of people that you think will best fit the art that you create, and make it easier for your fans to connect with you. And I think that's the basic formula that a lot of these production companies miss the mark on, like, all the time. But, I mean... I'm just, I'm so fucking excited for this movie, y'all. Like, Just the way she said, the little look when she said, Megan off. And she said, I thought we were having a conversation. Oh, bitch! Fucking finish. <laughs> I'm re- Day eight
1: and I'm ready, and I'm ready. In an article written on News One by Zach Lindley, we learned that over the weekend, hip hop veteran and mega on the mic minion Kanye West found himself locked out of his Twitter and Instagram accounts After he vowed to go, quote, death con three on Jewish people, threatening, quote, you guys have toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone who opposes your agenda, end quote. Which, besides being horrifically anti-Semitic, makes no sense because Jay is literally everywhere all the time, despite the offensive nonsense he's constantly spewing and has never come close to being blackballed by any platform. Ye's social media accounts needed to be suspended for a clear and blatant bigotry. He needed to be dragged mercilessly for what he posted, and he was. But Sarah Silverman, of all people, needed to sit this one out. She said, quote, Kanye threatened the Jews yesterday on Twitter, and it's not even trending. Why do mostly only Jews speak up against Jewish hate? The silence is so loud, end quote even though the news about Ye's comments were trending the day prior. A Black man on Twitter responded to Silverman's original tweet by pointing out that, quote, Black Twitter has been all over this, so it's not mostly Jews, end quote. Apparently, Silverman was offended by the implication that, quote, the onus is on me to call out all people being silent, end quote, which really made no sense since she was just being corrected after generalizing that all non-Jewish people were silent. So Andre, with all that being said, what do you think about the backlash Silverman is receiving from Black Twitter?
0: Um, Sarah Silverman popped off without having all of her facts in order, which is unsurprising because one thing whiteness has, it's the audacity. Um, caucastity. Really, the caucasity. The caucasity of it all. <laughs> What really just ticked me off about what she said was the whole, the silence is so loud little bit that she did. I mean, it was so condescending and so incorrect and so disrespectful to all the non-Jewish people who have been and still are discussing how dangerous Ye's comments were and how what he said was in no way, shape or form okay. Like. She was so far removed from the conversation that she didn't even do one Google or Twitter search to see that there was uproar so loud that not only was Ye rightfully locked out of his Instagram, but Twitter quickly followed suit to lock him out of his account there as well. Like if there was so much silence about it, all of his accounts would have been perfectly fine and. Since you say that only Jewish people speak up about Jewish hate, are you not forgetting the uproar about Whoopi Goldberg's statement about the Holocaust where many non-Jewish and Jewish people alike were quick to respectfully gather her? So much so that the producers suspended her from the view for two weeks to reflect on what she said. So like in the words of Shangela Laquifa widely, hold on, pause, sweetheart. Let's get it together before you wanna read. Are there situations where the hate marginalized communities are simply swept under the rug and ignored entirely 100%. But this is not one of those situations, Miss Silverman. Girl, I think that, you know,
1: whatever paint Sarah Silverman used to do blackface that one time, the fumes got to her head and made her <laughs> delusional because all, this is just delusion. Like, if you were on black Twitter, if you were on Twitter, period, you would have seen a lot of things being said about what Kanye tweeted and what Kanye was saying. And I don't know what, you know, high horse she's on or what little part of the world that she's in to not get any of that. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is this is a really dangerous conversation to have because it I is. think time and time again, you have people pitting people against each other Rather than speaking up about what is the crux of this, yeah. if Sarah civil was just like, oh, you know, I wish a little bit more people were speaking about this. That would be one thing yeah. but specifically targeting. Oh, y'all aren't speaking about this. Y'all love to never speak about Jewish issues and make a broad generalization really damages what a lot of Jewish activists have been trying to work on. exactly, And it um, completely undermines all the work that they've done. So this was a time Sarah Silverman should have been like, you know what? I I am upset about this conversation. She should have given her points on Ye's comments. Yeah, kept it a buck 20 and moved on. But no, she wanted to make this something bigger and something that it's not. When in reality... She's just so far removed from what a lot of people are saying, because you have to realize once you get to the point of being Sarah Silverman level, you're not really, you know, in the conversations in mass. You are Mm -hmm. seeing your very curated social media platform versus what everybody else is seeing. So in this situation, she did not have the purview
0: to talk about what's going on. Also, I think that there's like, like we've been telling people that Yay has been consistently problematic. Like we've talked about him before on this show, but at this point it's feeling really redundant. Like we know he has mental health issues, but it looks like he doesn't have anyone in his team who either respects or he, he respects enough or cares about him enough to make sure that he's taking his medication to regulate his moods because he's expressed that he struggles with bipolar disorder, which includes manic paranoia and i'm not a doctor but from the behaviors he's displaying it seems like he might be off his meds but this is like a really troubling situation because we all know that mental disorders can explain but none but it doesn't always excuse the actions of a mentally unwell person so it really begs the question like how much of what he's been saying is his true nature or is a result of his manic Hyper paranoid state. Like, I don't know, but like, what I do know is that if there are people in his life that truly love and want what's best for him, that they get him the help that he needs. But until then, I think he absolutely needs to remain suspended and locked out of all his social media accounts because as a celebrity with such a massive following, regardless of if his comments are a result of his mental disorder or not, a mentally unwell person should not have access to a massive platform where they could unintentionally or intentionally encourage dangerous people to enact violence on any community. I mean, we've seen what happens when dangerous rhetoric is platformed on a grand scale. I mean, even in recent news, it's how the insurrection at the Capitol happened. Like, it's so, Fucking irritating when we have been consistently saying, Yay is a problem, Yay is a problem, Yay is a problem. And then no one's like, Oh, well, he's a problem for y'all. Like, he's a problem for the niggas. He ain't a problem for us. And then now that his discussions have been moving towards anti Semitism, when we've already told y'all that he has been fucking up and that he is, he's not in his right mind right now, or that he, you know, needs to get some help and that he is, you know, having spewing some very dangerous rhetoric. Now y'all want to be like, oh, maybe y'all was right. We've been telling y'all that. We've been telling y'all that he was he was fucking up and he was not all the way there. So it's just like, it's really frustrating to me that like everybody's just so, aga- <gasps> so aghast at what he said. And I'm kind of like, this is something that I don't, I'm not surprised about from what he's displayed before. It's wrong, it's disgusting. And he absolutely should be held accountable for that. But once again, the black community has been telling y'all been been telling y'all that he's been anti-black, he has been spewing white supremacist rhetoric, and a part of white supremacist rhetoric is anti-Semitism. Exactly.
1: And it's one of these things, like you said, I think that there are certain conversations that are getting a little tired. Like, you know, yes, Ye has talked about having mental health issues, but like you said, mental health issues can explain something But it's not an excuse for something. And I think people have also been talking about how, you know, when his mom was still alive, he was he was saying some crazy things. But since his mom died, it's gotten even crazier. And yet again, could be an explanation. Losing somebody that could have been the person to keep you grounded or bring you back when you do have these manic episodes losing that person can cause a lot of pain and cause a lot of disruption. But again, it is not a way to excuse what he's talking about. He is doing something that's inexcusable. Anti-Semitism is inexcusable. Racism is inexcusable. Bigotry period is inexcusable. So in this situation, the right action was taken. He violated guidelines. He put dangerous rhetoric out there. And social media was like, We're gonna have that social media account. We're gonna take that away from you. You take a timeout and took it away from him, like they should have. And so it really just creates this conversation about what people are doing next. And I think that, you know, especially people like Sarah Silverman. You can't really stop Kanye's thoughts unless you are close to him. We can call him out, uh, hold him accountable, yeah. this and that. And that could help to a certain extent. You know, it gets his account taken away. And so for that time, he's not posting more dangerous rhetoric. Yeah, But really, change is going to come from him and those people who are closest around him. Now the table is always hot with current events and social issues, but sometimes the heat can get a little intense. Let's turn the temp down, take a breather, and get into this week's topic, Cool Down. So Andre, I wanted to ask you, do you think that childless people should be obligated to accommodate their coworkers who are parents, such as moving or giving up your already scheduled vacation time?
0: No. Um... I didn't have a child and I don't ever want children for that reason alone. When you have kids, you have to sacrifice to provide for them. And the thing you sacrifice the most is your time. It's unfortunate that, you know, the time that you wanted is the same time that I had already scheduled my vacation for. But oh, well, um, I'll see when I get back in two weeks. Um, I do hope that you get another chance in the future and are able to put in that vacation request in a timely manner. But those are your kids, not mine. Wish you the best, babe. Daquan, your thoughts?
1: Couldn't agree more. Like, I, I saw this on social media creating this discord about somebody who literally put in their vacation time well ahead of time. And then somebody comes in afterwards and being like, well, I want to take my kids to Disney that day. So can you move your time? And it's like, excuse you, who are you? Because what I know is my world does not re- revolve around your kids. Your world may, but not my world. And there is something called, you know, academic calendars that come out well in advance of when you need to schedule your vacation time. So you may have that going on, but that is not an emergency on my part. That is your poor planning. So
0: sorry, not sorry. So many children grow up, never knowing the full scope of what their culture has contributed to society in history. So it's time for a change. Let's take a pause, rewind and remind the world just how we did that. In an article on biography.com written by Meredith Worthen, we learn about Alice Augusta Ball born on July 24, 1892 in Seattle, Washington. After earning undergraduate degrees in pharmaceutical chemistry and pharmacy from the University of Washington, Alice Ball transferred to the College of Hawaii and became the very first African-American and the very first woman to graduate with a MS degree in chemistry in 1915. She was offered a teaching and research position there and became the institution's very first First woman chemistry instructor, and she was only 23 years old. As a laboratory researcher, Ball worked extensively to develop a successful treatment for those suffering from Hansen's disease or leprosy. Her research led her to create the very first injectable leprosy treatment using oil from a chalmugra tree, which up until then was only a moderately successful topical agent that was used in Chinese and Indian medicine. Ball successfully isolated the oil into a fatty acid components of different molecular weights, allowing her to manipulate the oil into a water-soluble, injectable form. Ball's scientific rigor resulted in a highly successful method to alleviate leprosy symptoms, later known as the Ball method, that was used on thousands of injected individuals over 30 years until sulfone drugs were introduced. Tragically, Ball died on December 31st. 1916 at the young age of 24 after complications resulting from inhaling chlorine gas in a lab teaching accident. In 2000, the University of Hawaii Manoa placed a bronze plaque in front of the Chomunga Tree on campus to honor Ball's life in her important discovery. Former Lieutenant Governor of Hawaii, Maize Hirono, also declared February 29th as Alice Ball Day. And in 2007, the University of Hawaii posthumously awarded her with the Regent's Medal of Distinction. A black women in stem
1: black women in stem period we love to see it in an article from BlackPast.org, we learned that Emery barnes was a social worker politician and outstanding athlete during his high school years in oregon he excelled in high jump track and field he was an alternate high jumper for the 1952 u.s olympic track and field team and he also played football at the University of Oregon where he earned a Bachelor of Science degree. In 1954, he was drafted by the National Football League to play for the Green Bay Packers. After a relatively short NFL career, he moved to the Canadian Football League and the British Columbia Lions in 1957. During Barnes's football career, he did a postgraduate study in social work at the University of British Columbia. In 1964, he began a career as a social worker in Vancouver until he entered politics in 1972. Barnes and fellow New Democratic Party legislative assembly member, Rosemary Brown, were the first black candidates elected to a legislative office in British Columbia. Barnes's political platform was dedicated to helping the disadvantaged with an emphasis on worldwide human rights, social justice, and poverty. At one point in his political career, realizing how difficult life was for many of the people in his district and wishing to bring attention to poverty in the area, he moved to downtown East Vancouver and limited himself to living on an amount equal to that received by welfare recipients when the British Columbia Black History Awareness Society first emerged in 1993, in attempt to acknowledge Black History Month, Barnes obtained a government grant and rallied community support for the society. He then led the effort to build a cultural community center in Vancouver for the entire community, but especially to serve the people of African heritage. Though his hard work and diligence Through his hard work and diligence, the BC Black Cultural Association was formed with Barnes as the first president. Black people. Period. That whole politician thing where he was like, oh, I'm gonna live just like the people in my district. Oh, y'all are making that much? I'm gonna make that much. You live here, I'm gonna live here. You know, maybe some US politicians should take some (laughs) notes.
0: Maybe they should be getting that
1: minimum wage.
0: See if it's really livable. (laughs) Now, as always, thank you all so much for watching and keep the conversation going down in the comment box below. Don't forget to give this video a thumbs up. And if you are listening to us on our podcast, please rate and review on whatever platform you are using. You can also follow our podcast on Instagram and TikTok. At the Melanin Margin for updates of new content. And if you like to follow each of us, our handles are at
1: Daquan M U E and at Andre Talksalot. Now we will see you all next time on the Melanin Margin, where our goal is always to bring the marginalized to the spotlight in any way we can. Goodbye now.